This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Hey, Switches! Please give a very special witchy welcome to Ron Zander Williams, aka the absolutely amazing visual effects supervisor for Motherland Fort Salem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. We're so excited to talk to you. <laughs> yes, thank you for being here. My pleasure. For so many reasons. Literally so many reasons. Well, it's been three years, right? Three years of three seasons. Yeah, three years. Yes. So. And every second on that show is absolute perfection. Thank you for putting your time and efforts into it. We love it so much. <clears throat> so. You are the VF, VFX supervisor. And so what exactly does your job entail for like our listeners who may not be familiar? Well, first of all, I have to make clear that I'm the VizFX on-set supervisor, right? So what does that mean is that I'm on set uh, guiding the crew so we can shoot the elements the way we need them to be shot so that post- the guys in, in all the other studios in Montreal and LA or anywhere that folks had an office, they could do their work you know, properly. So usually I will read the script with you know the writers and the directors. And so that's why I was always in close contact with Elliot and Brian and usually Amanda and everyone higher up so that we would discuss scenes because visual effect scenes they have many ways to go it all depends on how you want to shoot it it depends if it's exterior if it's interior uh if you have enough time to rely on the weather or should you go inside and use a green screen for for most of it it's it's there's so many ways of doing it that it comes down to budget, time, um, distances that we have to cover to make that decision. And I help that decision process. But I'm always on set, also on set, because I was the guy in post for many years. I started doing 3D. I did compositing. Compositing, for those who don't know, it's almost like a Photoshop, but it's Photoshopping for a sequence of image not just one image, right? So that compositing is basically putting all the layers together so you have a final product that has like the, your background, your foreground, or any elements that we introduce, like a CG element, if, if we need to have one. So I also guide the actors so that their behavior uh, helps us in post. For example, when the girls were uh, working in their scourges, we obviously cannot have a full scourge being 
swung everywhere and hitting people. So I would usually ask uh, the girls to to hold the scourge in a, in a fashion that, let's say, from here on is all CG. So whenever they did that, or if they even if they held it like this, sometimes we would not have the stone. This one has a real stone, so this this would hurt someone. We never use this uh, for for actually stone fight. This this would only be there for looks, where someone is just holding onto it. On the day we do do a cowboy switch, and we would switch this for something with a with a rubber on uh, at the end, or something that was cut away. So that if anyone is swinging it, that's all CG from there on. So we call the freeze, actor stops moving, we replace this, we keep going. No, that's the way we, we do things. So I'm, in, I'm responsible for making sure that when we shoot something like this or any CG element, that we do it a, you know, in a way that makes sense. Because if you're doing like an extension to a knife or anything too long. Even the actor is only holding the hilt, the blade is going to be CG. Well, you have to remember that there's going to be a long object added to the element you're holding. So you can't go like, like this or like this because even though it's not there, you, when we add a blade, you'll be cutting yourself. So I, so I have to be there so we, re, we rehearse these things with the actors, okay, remember that. So this is something that I would discuss with, uh, with the, uh, the stunts, right? Reese or uh, first season, uh, we had uh, other, other people involved, uh, but whoever uh, is working around VisFX, I'm responsible to guide them in, in a way that we can do our work later. That's really interesting. Does it make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. Perfect. Okay. Perfect sense. Yeah, it's but for like I the visuals would, later and safety. Yeah, <laughs> Don't yeah. hurt yourself but with I that would, stone. But that being said, usually when we went on a location scout, I would usually take pictures of that location and I would do a quick Photoshop previs of whatever visual effects we wanted so that on our concept meeting or production meeting, I could show Amanda or whoever was directing that episode something, show to Elliot and say, is this what we want? Because it's, it's a visual media. Well, our work is very visual. And if I'm talking to you about any, any simple thing, like even a table, your idea of what a table is, is different from someone else's. And so, it's it's my visualization helped put us all on the same ballpark you know so okay either either you would tell me no this is not what i want or yes it is what i want but at least you know i'm eliminating you know any doubts surrounding what we're doing right so you have to have excellent communication as well as... oh uh, oh that's that's oh it is it is a communication media and it we, the more you communicate, the more you talk about a shot or a scene, the less chances of that going south, you know, and during a shoot. The shoot, I don't know if you've ever been to a shoot, but a shoot is something that we time by the second. Every time you, you're, you're rolling camera and you stop for a minute, AD is going to ask you, why are we stopping? You know, because he has to cover so many shots in a day. 
and anything anything you don't shoot will be have to either be eliminated from that scene or it will be uh, we'll have to come back as a second unit and shoot that element or that scene and it also becomes a problem because you may not have that actor available in the future you know yeah so that can throw a wrench in things if you get off those uh seconds that have been calculated for purpose well there is some there's there's of course there's a leeway right we always know that you know I, 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 uh, actors need uh, a series of conditions to make their work proper right they have to focus on what they're doing it it's a very hard job when you think of interpreting in front of a camera and and then for us standing on your mark you know and sometimes the actor does everything right but we go oops we had a we have a problem with sound or we have a problem with light you know let's let's go back to ones and and roll it again i can only imagine what it is for an actor you know after he nailed that shot to go back and okay let's do it again it's like oh my god you know <laughs> and it's over and over and over and over and you do a wide shot and you go tighter and then you switch angles and you're repeating that that scene forever throughout the day seems like it would grind you down a little bit yeah yeah um so can you tell us the difference between visual effects and special effects okay we go we go hand in hand in a way because we need each other uh i'm even though i'm a visual effects supervisor i'm i'm always in favor at doing uh, for doing as much practical as we can you know, I try to do uh, special effects as most you know, most possible. I, I'd like to do visual effects when it's something that you cannot do practically. You know, can't do it practically or doing it practically would, would see, be so expensive that you might as well go visual. That being said, visual effects is mostly everything you do on a computer. And special effects is when you do something practical. But many times, we shoot practical elements to be added in post. So you, for example, you have an explosion and you want to explode a car in a place that you obviously will not get a permit to explode that vehicle in, you know, Central Park in New York or anywhere else. Yes. <laughs> so what you'll do, you will do what we call a plate, a plate being like a establishing shot where that, that hero shot is going to happen. Uh, and you would put the car, let's see the car is exploding. You would put the pre-explosion car in place, do all your walk and talk, do all the dialogues before that happens. Uh, we'll cut, remove the, the car that's not damaged, replace it for exploded vehicle or totally destroyed keep the scene rolling, put some smoke, you know, put some debris on the ground. Then I would take camera information, go to an empty lot and place the camera at the same angles that we did when we shot the scene and I would explode a real car. And I would use the plate that I shot as my background and for that I would use a computer to replace, put the explosion that we shot in the same angles on that location that we want the explosion to be. So that's where the computer comes in. So that's, that's why 
Many times I use special effects to achieve the visual effects. That's such a cool cooperative effect between those two like elements. Oh yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, it is. for sure. I love that. So your job entails sometimes exploding cars. That's pretty cool. Not everyone can oh, say that. Oh, all the time, yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's mostly knowing, discussing, discussing with, with special effects, how far are they willing or how far can they go? And yeah, then I would true. Take over, I would take over from there, right? Um, we don't really have to explode cars anymore. We can do the explosion CG-wise and they look pretty good. But it all depends on the level of interaction that you need with your surroundings. So if you have elements that are too close and they need to be shaken by the explosion, let's say, or you're exploding a vehicle around uh, in a place that's surrounded by many trees, those trees would eventually move. They, the, the foliage would, would shake and well, I would probably ask special effects to rig the tree with some cables. And when we do the boom, we'll have them shaking the trees or they would have big fans. We use fans a lot, right? So they have the, what they call the rigger fans. Rigger fans are huge. They look like big propellers from an airplane. And you would have these rigger fans, you know, pointed at the trees. So you get, you know, the explosion when that happens. You get it, you know, the foliage reacting. Uh, many times I'll talk to a director of photography. If that explosion happens at night, uh, we would probably have a big uh, spill of light on the foliage. So we would have special effects in the lighting grids, you know, joining efforts to provide me with that interaction that I need so that when I put my visual effects element, when I say a visual effects explosion, that explosion reacts to real elements in the wow. shot. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think about that. So you have to like yeah. think about how the explosion would impact mm -hmm. everything in the scene, not yes. just the cars yes. that's being blown. Uh, that's so yeah, cool. We had, we had the, uh, the um, what's it called again? Our witch bomb and, and yes. several times <laughs> yeah, we, we needed all these bomb. elements. Uh, also, when I shot the swimming pool, the freezing, freezing yes. the swimming pool, that was Amanda's episode, season two or season one, I forget I now. Season it's, one. Season one, yeah. Uh, yeah. At one point, we had a plexiglass over the water, so when the girl was frozen and she's like hitting the glass to get uh -huh. out of the swimming pool, we had some CG glass, but special effects rigged a, a thick a plexiglass panel because I needed the actor to, to, to interact with something practical. Right. If she was just hitting water, you would never get the, what you needed, which was something that would stop her hand. Right. So that was a mix of, you know, it wasn't a shot in a real swimming pool and the stunts was, was hitting uh, plexiglass and we added CG ice around her to make it look like it was all frozen. That's really cool. That's so cool. Yeah, uh, it definitely paid off. It looked really nice. I like that. It, it looked did. amazing. Yeah. It looked amazing. Yeah. yeah. Very convincing. Absolutely. Uh, so we noticed um, from your LinkedIn that you started off career-wise as a building architect and then transitioned later on into a VFX architect. So what was that transition like between the specialties? Well, I... I, I I did a lot of, you know, 
testing and filming when I was a kid with VHS cameras, right? That's before your time, but we got those VHS. <laughs> I had one of those. I had one of those too. amazing. But this, this was something that I did on, on my leisure time after school, my friends and I, there was no YouTube or anything that you could actually show your work. Yeah. So it was basically, no. you did stuff and you showed your friends at home. That's, that's as much as we could divulge it. But yeah. that being said, I, I later I, I took, I got my degree in architecture. I was working in Vancouver as an architect, but I got my degree in Brazil because I'm Brazilian. So I studied in Brazil. I got my degree there and I moved to Canada because I have family in Canada. So I was always visiting, you know, Canada every two, three years. Decided to move to Canada in 95, no, sorry, 1990, after I graduated. And I was working as an architect in Vancouver, but I would eventually need to uh, write exams to get my stamp. And that would take me back to school, at least for a year. And then I thought to myself, and a friend of mine had enrolled the Vancouver Film School animation program. And he was just talking about it with such excitement that I got interested. And I thought to myself, well, if I'm going back to school to study, I might as well learn something new. And that's when I decided to enroll at Vancouver Film School and take the CG animation. And after I graduated, I moved to Brazil again and I worked for a studio in Sao Paulo. They called me immediately because back in the days, not a lot of people had that kind of you know, knowledge. This was the very beginning of, of computer graphics, you know, uh, well, films like Jurassic Park and Terminator had just you know, uh, been done. And this was all like, Oh my God, this is so cool. And, and this was the very beginning of computer graphics. So it was easy for someone to get a job in the field because people rarely had any kind of formal education. And then I had formal education from Vancouver film school. Yay. And I got hired immediately. And I eventually I progressed from, 3D animation and 3D modeling to compositing, which is the Photoshopping layer aspect. But compositing for me was a lot more dynamic because usually a client sits next to you and you're just basically like driving a cab because uh, this, were, this is what they call the post houses. So post houses were uh, boutique shops where a director would show up with, you know, stuff that he shot for a promo, for an ad, or for uh, a show. And you basically tell me, well, surprise me, I have no idea what to do with this. Because uh, not, not the, the idea of having an on-set supervisor was just beginning. A lot of directors just shot against green or blue and went to a post. I was like, okay, no, all I know is I can change the background. So. Gradually, it became uh, more and more uh, noticeable that we would need someone on set to guide a director. So eventually, compositors and editors starting visiting set on the day of a shoot and guiding the director. Okay, now we got to, if you shoot like this, it's going to be better. If you shoot like that, it's not so good. Uh, and, and that was something that really appealed to me because I love the on-set work as, as 
stressful as it is, you know, the long days on set, they're never short of 13 hours. Uh, it's a very dynamic environment, and I think it's very seductive. Uh, it presents so many challenges that small issues become non-existent. You know, you can, if you get five minutes to sit, that's a lot. So you're never complaining about your chair when you only have five minutes to sit, you know? So it's, 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 it's your, your goal is to achieve something that is always a challenge, everyday challenge, right? So I think it's, it brings everyone together because you see the actors, you know, struggling to get through the day, remembering their lines, making sure they, they, they stop on their marks and, you know, wardrobe and makeup, everyone is, you know, let's do, 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 let's get this done. And, and I think that everyone on set uh, comes in to present a solution to a problem. You know, we're always coming up with a solution. No one is ever presenting a problem without presenting a solution to that problem because we all know that the problems exist and we can see them. So uh, I think that on set, people are always problem solvers, you know. It's a very special, special kind of people working on set because also people are so stressed because of the time uh, restraints and the pressure that it involves a lot of people skills on set. Absolutely. You know? I bet it does. Like, yeah. so how much do the actors know or, or get to see of what they're going to be reacting to and what the finished product would be like? Well, it depends. Well, for example, if I have what we, we have something that we call Q-Take and Q-Take is uh, a real time on set uh, keyer. So let's say we're shooting something that happens in the desert, like when we had Adil uh, uh, carrying his sister. Uh, we shot that in the parking lot just behind stage with a big <laughs> uh, blue screen. There was no desert anywhere near. All That's we so awesome. Was a, we dressed the parking lot with a lot of sand and we had the gate. There's a soldier that comes out of a gate and comes up to a deal and, and, and helps them into uh, that uh, facility. Uh, sometimes well, if I have cute take on set, I can do real-time keying and compositing so I could show the actors this is what's, what it's going to look like. Nice. Gotcha. And then they go, whoa. And I go, yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> but it helps them a lot. Imagine so. Or, or, or the composites that I'll do on set, I mean, on, on, on the scouts, I will do a frame of what we'll have in mind and also gives an idea to the actors of, oh, okay, so this is, they'll have that element's going to be flying there and this is going to be here. And, and I'll try to have something, if they're interacting with something that they have to look at, Usually we have a painter's pole or something with a tennis ball, so it gives them an eye line, right? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So, so I'm responsible for getting the actors, you know, that kind of feedback. What's going to happen? What it's going to look like? And but of course, I try not to interfere with the director's work because 
you know, if you have too many people talking or, or you know, directing an actor, that could be confusing. So usually I only step in when it's something very specific about visual effects. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of Motherland specific visual effects, there's a scene in season two with um, Lynn's character, Sarah Alder, where she she basically turns into what we have deemed Groot, where she kind of looks like a bit of a tree when she's going into the mycelium. And we're wondering what was the if were you involved with that? And like, what was the inspiration behind like, the way they kind of dressed her up like that? No, that that inspiration is all it's all Elliot's idea. You know, Elliot is the creator of the show. So all these you now, the looks are always on Elliot, we can suggest a few things. But in that case, it's more about Elliot deciding, you know, what what he wants as a look. Gotcha. Uh, I would have more of a say in terms of um, explosions and uh, things that have to interact a little bit more, you know, stunt-wise, because... Then I would offer Elliot or Amanda or Shannon or whoever was directing an episode, I would offer them a uh, pass, you know, is this the way you want to go? But it, it all comes down to Elliot or Amanda or someone deciding what they really want, you know? Right on. Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. My, 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 my creative process is more in the way to make things happen on set. Not so much how I want them to look. Of course, sometimes I will do a pre-visit something and they will like it so much that Elliot would say, oh, I want to do exactly what you just, just suggested, you know? Right, right. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Uh, right. There's a few things that I can think of, but I can't, I can't comment on them yet because oh, they haven't been there. Oh. Now he's teasing us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have all the secrets. Speaking of season three, in episode two, there's a scene where Rael sinks underground into the mycelium. Uh, what was that process like to make it look like she was sinking into the ground? Okay. Remind me of what that shot again. That's um, not that's season three. Season three, episode two. They're um, camping out in the woods, and oh my god, my Rail god, gets yes, sucked yes, into the mycelium. Yes, yes. Oh my god. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Well, but that but that that was something that uh, Elliot had to rewrite, right? That yeah, was not yes. originally a, right. a plan. Uh, we shot that outside, and we shot that on stage as well. Uh, now, repeat the question you had for me. Oh, I said, what was the process like to make it look like Rail was sinking into the ground? Oh, okay. So we shot a tent on location and everything that before she sank, we, uh, we had on location. We had one shot of the hand as she's like the final stages of the hand going into the ground. We dug, uh, well, not uh, we, I mean, location and special effects. They dug a big hole enough for stunts to sit oh. under a a a uh a riser uh -huh. but the riser the riser was actually at ground level we put some dirt and the the floor the flooring for a tent ripped 
open. All right. And the stunt that had her hand just going into the ground. Now, That's so cool. For, uh, but for Rael to actually dive into the ground, we needed something that, that provided her with, you know, a lot of uh, enough real state for her to be under stage. So we shot that on stage on a higher riser that was about five feet above the studio floor. And then we, we had the same tent. We had a practical ground with dirt. And then we had a kind of um, neoprene, a very stretchy fabric that we painted. That was actually Kurt's idea, Kurt's special effects. Uh, oh. Kurt, Kurt I, I told Kurt what I needed and Kurt developed this, this neoprene-like uh, stretchy fabric that would stretch around Rael and back as she had her body going through and receding. So we stepped her into the tent and she did all, I'm leaving, I'm going away. <laughs> okay, where are you going? And then you would see her from her shoulder, neck, face, and arm, like this much out of that neoprene and being sucked into the ground. That's so interesting. That's really cool. I'll probably have that on my demo reel sometime. You should definitely. You should. That was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. I bet but it was. I, I, I thought it was, I thought, I thought I had, we had some more creative ideas for the jumping off the bats. Because I don't know if you remember when they were the, the training and they're jumping mm -hmm. off the backs. Yeah. The backs. Uh, for me, that was, we had some really creative ideas in terms of how to have them uh, hanging from uh, cables and pretend they're flying. We had one of season one, when they first jumped out of a bat, we actually rigged very tall uh, fabric that went all the way to the uh, studio uh, ceiling. So they, the stunts actually dropped by like 30 to 40 feet. Wow. On the line. And we had the camera uh, down looking up and then we had the camera up looking down on a techno crane. And the fabric was all white. That was John Joffin's uh, DOP idea. He conceived that, that Tunnel, very long tunnel, all the way to the studio floor. That's really where cool. we drop the stunts. Then for the actual flying, when they're flying and, and you're closer, we had something that was like a, a torso support that the actors could be supported by their, their torso and their legs and, and arms were free, and that was kind of those those those. those uh, bulls that the the bull things that they have at rodeos where you put a, a person a, a mechanic bull yes think of a mechanic yeah bull. think of a mechanic bull but without the sitting thing, okay but just okay. something to like support lame. you so we had that mechanic bull moving around like this so camera was hinging around the actor on the blue screen while they were supported by their torso and legs and arms were free so we rebuilt this CG because that's where we had something that we had to remove, but that was looking them from above and looked really, really good. Yeah. It really looks like they're they're skydiving. 
It does. It, does. it really does. Yeah. That's yeah. so creative. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love it too. So. Um, so we were looking through your reel of amazingness. Thank you for putting that out there so we could see oh, it. And, <laughs> and we noticed like um, from your time when you worked on Shadowhunter, there's this scene where like, it looks like the actors are walking outside, but they're actually like in a studio instead. And so is it normal for like exterior to do exterior shots like that? Or do they, are, are they usually on location or does it depend? Well, more and more, we're trying to do it indoors. You know, especially if you're shooting in a place like, uh, well, uh, Toronto doesn't rain as much, but Vancouver rains a lot. So it's yeah. uh, so many times that we had continuity issues. If you know that it's a scene that will require a few days outside, the more days you have outside, the riskier it is that one of these days will be raining. And it's usually a director's and, and a producer's, you know, choice. Uh, I will tell them, you know, they will usually ask me, first thing that Tracy would ask me is like, can we do it inside? Of course, because uh, the idea is if I tell them this is, this is something that we can easily do inside, we'll, we'll go for inside because, well, you don't have to move uh, crew around, you know, you don't have, you're not relying on the, the weather, that is weather, not weather dependent. And you just control it a lot more. But that works to a point where you don't sacrifice, you know, the shot. If the shot requires a lot of uh, real estate to happen, let's say it's someone in the stadium or someone uh, running around, there's so much you can do on stage before uh, the lighting on the stage limits you because you cannot mimic a hard sun uh, daylight throughout a very large area on stage. There's so many, so many spotlights you can put before you notice that your shadows are not, are moving, it's perspective. And when you're outside in the sun, there's no perspective for the shadows. They're all parallel always, right? Because right. the sun is so far and it's such a, a big source of light that you never get that parallax between the shadows. So that's why sometimes when you see interior uh, shots like 300, the movie, it looks like it's overcast all the time. Because that's a, that's a limitation you have for creating hard light and stage. Now, <coughs> excuse me. We're shooting a lot with AR walls nowadays, right? So that's unreal. So if you look at Mandalorian, uh, all these shows, they have what we call an AR wall. So it's artificial reality and usually runs on what the uh, software called Unreal. That's a game engine. So they have this big screen, an LED screen. It's huge. You could fit like several trucks inside the stage with that LED lights. So the LED lights project your background. So instead of using a blue screen or a green screen, Interesting. you're actually using a set. The disadvantage of using a system like that in terms of time is that you have to pre-produce all right. that imagery ahead of time. 
And once you produce that imagery, you know, by filming or creating in CG, you're married to that. You cannot change right. it. Right. If you, if you say, oh, I don't like the set, you know, let's change it. Well, <laughs> that's going to be really expensive. When you shoot green screen, you can put anything you want in the back. If you don't like it, you can always switch for something else. Uh, the disadvantage is when you use green screen, you don't get all the reflections and the light spills on the actors. If an actor is using a reflective element on their, on their clothing, like maybe a helmet or something that will reflect the surrounding, when you use a green screen, you don't have any real elements to be reflecting on that object. When you use an arrow, AR wall, or when you go on location, everything is reflected. So you get that interaction. Gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. That's really cool. Um, so is there anything that viewers would think is real, but actually added later? Well, many things. I would think so, the yeah. Tornadoes. Like, there's a lot. The, the tornadoes? No, <laughs> the no, tornadoes. Those aren't real. <laughs> we timed this shot with the tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe uh, things that you would think were real. Maybe the scourge is something that they could yeah. think you were actually, you know. Uh, totally. I saw a shot where, like, the bats show up, like, they were, like, in a field, and then they were oh, yeah, running yeah, towards. Yeah, yeah. We, we, at any given moment, all we had was one helicopter, and it had no propellers. It had nothing. Nothing. Like, it was just the body, the shell, and the tail, and that's it. There were no propellers. There were no, uh, some interior cabin lights. I usually ask them to rig the lights on because... Uh, I wanted to get that, that the lights coming from the dashboard, right? That would be expensive to do in post. If you could get it done on set, it's, it's better that you, you do. And usually Kurt's special effects would be at the, on the tail shaking the helicopter for a look. Yeah. Mostly, when they're all running in a field towards the bats, there were no bats there. We only had big rigger fans blowing the grass so that the grass was interacting with the propellers that never existed. That's so cool. That is so cool. That's a good example of something people could take for granted was real. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Bree has accidentally acquired a green screen suit for Scylla for season three. And we're wondering if you happen to know, like, what that was used for and like why would an actor in general need a green screen suit like for them oh we never we never we never had to use hmm, let me think here a green screen suit we didn't have we never had anyone wearing a green screen suit really? the only time it would ever no i don't remember using a green screen a green screen suit for any shots maybe i'm forgetting here but i don't recall we may have had one, but usually if you have someone on a green screen suit, it'll be a stunts. They, yeah. I'm trying to remember if we ever had that. Do you have any info on that? It was part of the everything that got sold off um, from set. And it, it's just, yeah. it, it just has like 
the it just has Scylla in the ta on a tag inside of the top because it's a top and a bottom. And then um, there's a tag that's with it that says property of motherland, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And just like describe has like a, a note from from like costuming or something. I don't I don't recall ever using a green screen. That's interesting. On any, any any shot, someone might, you know, sometimes special effects will assume that a green screen something would would help us, and then they will have it ready. See, that sometimes makes sense. It could be a plan. It could be a plan B for something, and then on the day we realize we don't need it. But yeah, that would make sense. If I ever. If I ever asked for one, it could have been, you know, something, oh, maybe we will use it, you know, if we need uh, an example. If it wasn't green, if it was blue suit, I would say it was used for uh, a deal would make sense. A deal invisible work, uh, mm -hmm. walking around the book. That's that's a scenario where eventually you would need someone wearing a blue suit so you can keep behind moving foliage and eliminate that person from the shot and still get the foliage reacting to a person. So Makes that's sense. something that yeah. you usually want someone wearing a blue suit, not green, because you have to key the blue from the green and not green on green, right? Right. Uh, but I never used anything like that. And I can't remember why we would have one That's order. interesting. Well, who knows? Honestly, I think that was something that special effects or wardrobe assumed we would need, but we never actually used. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because I would never have an actor wearing that. Uh, the only reason I would ever have an actor wearing a green element would be if I wanted the actor's head to be separated from their body at one point and maybe 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 for um penelope at the end of season two if we had penelope like just her head mm -hmm. above a creature and when she transformed into uh that witch plague multi-tentacle uh that would be also a shot where I would probably have her wearing a blue suit or a green suit so I could separate her head and hair from the rest of her body. But I, I can't remember ever doing that on this show. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what, what do you think was the hardest scene or, or type of scene to film for Motherland visual effects wise? Hmm, got me in there. Hardest scene. Uh, challenging scenes that I can think of. Well, the bats, uh, I mean, this, the, the flying. I would say, I would think that special effects, well, not visual effects, but special effects wise, probably the landing of the girls when they landed from their. Uh, their uh, salvage jump that was per probably hard for special effects. Now for me, oh my God, I can't think of something that would have been like extremely difficult off the bat. 
Um, swimming pool was not easy because the swimming pool uh, was challenging because people had to freeze. We do not use a system that we call time freeze because time freeze is a very expensive uh, system where you have hundreds of cameras shooting at the same time along a mm. path. So that was used for the matrix, for example, right? Gotcha. Uh, mm. So we did what we call the poor man's time freeze, which is actually <laughs> asking for actors to stop. And then when they stop, we CG uh, ice or anything around them to make them look like they're frozen, right? That's probably a, that's probably a, a challenging uh, to time it properly. It's hard, right? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. It's easier if you tell me if you ask me how was this shot and you point the scene to me because then I'll I'll tell you. Oh, what about the Salva scene? Because that's like the the Salva scene with Rayel and Silla is kind of iconic. So. Yes, yes, yes. I actually had. A, a, a mock-up of the trees on a, a bit of smil, a small diorama of that so that we could discuss the scene with the director. And uh, let me show you something here really Ooh. quick. Just a second. <laughs> His chair! <laughs> it's the VFX chair. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I love it. So, when we were shooting that, that Salva jump from the tree, I had a model of the trees with the platforms that I made so that we could discuss the scene with the ADs and the crew of, okay, how... So this is the kind of stuff sometimes I'll do besides my drawings. I'll have, like, a small model and we'll discuss the shot, you know, uh, what's going to be on blue, what's going to be on green, because up here where we had uh, Rael at the very top of the tree jumping, we can never take the actor up there. Even if you rig the actor, you're not allowed to take the actor that, that high up. You can take a stunt up there. So what we do, we, we, we make a copy of, of this, this area of the tree, you know, the, the platform and all the ropes that you saw from a low angle, we copy exactly that, but at a lower part of a tree. Oh, okay. Just above, just about above ground level, and we match the angle with the camera. So the same angle we have here, we just go on a on a on a baby stick and re redo that angle. So all you're seeing is Rael and the tree trunk behind her, but the one you see in the shot is not the one up here; it's the one down here right. for the close-up. And then on the wide yeah. shot, that's all stunts. Yeah. Makes sense. If you don't see their if you don't see their faces at any given moment on a fight or something risky, that's very likely a stunt. Stunt double. You know? Yeah. Right. Totally. Well, that's that's awesome. I have a question about a different Salva scene. There's a scene in season one where it's Rael and Scylla, and I'm pretty sure it was shot with a green screen, something like that, and they're like floating in the air, just the two of them. That first one was, okay, that first one was not green screen. I didn't do that oh, because that was really? the pilot. 
That was the okay. pilot. Mm-hmm. And if I was told correctly, John Joffin shot that for real. They removed uh, cables, but the girls the girls were not that high up, you know. Oh, but that was shot in the That that was shot. If I if I was told correctly, that was shot at high speed, uh, so they could have their hairs like waving, mm. and they had yeah. rigger fans. They had rigger fans blowing wind on them, so the hairs are all wavy up in the air. And it was shot at high speed because there's no dialogue. They're just looking at each other, enjoying that that moment. But since there's no dialogue, they could shoot at a different speed to have the, the fabric on their clothes and the hair and the foliage all gently waving around while they're floating. But it was not a green screen, so I was told. That's really cool. Wow. I would never have thought that. Yeah. We have some tricks up our sleeves. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> we see that. You're f- fooling all of us. Well done. What other what other scenes can you think of? Um, all right, I have one. So the scene at the end of season one where the witch bomb does go off. I think this was in your de- your demo clip for Motherland where there's like this very, very high shot of like Abigail and Rael and they're like in the mushroom cloud and there's mushrooms everywhere. What was that scene like to like create? That's a, that was a big like area. To well, create. yeah, well we did, we, we had, uh, that was shot in Coquitlam and uh, we had, we had planned on going to interior BC for that shot, but somehow we never had, had a chance to go because it would have been extremely expensive on it at the time to, to do that. And we had some, some impediment. We ended up shooting in Vancouver at Whitland, and uh, we had to change the whole surrounding, right? Because that was supposed to be shot in a real desert in the Cache Creek of BC, but we ended up shooting at the, uh, the quarry in Whitland. So the whole surrounding was CG, right? And that was shot by a drone. The helicopter, uh, when we marry what we're seeing uh, from uh, over the shoulder of the girls in the back looking at Rael and and on on the ground, that was shot on stage. So there's a combination of real footage on a drone that was comped onto a helicopter on a blue green screen day. So there's helicopter on the green screen matching the drone angle. So you have a plate that all CG around it. So you're talking about several elements to make that work. That's so cool. That's so crazy. And there's one shot that I recall was fun to do was the guy that gets split in half. Right, that, yes. Yeah. So what I had on the day was the same stunt, running and falling to his right, and then I had him running and falling to his left. That's cool. So we chose one of the two for the pre-cut, no, the pre-split, and then we used uh, half falling on one side and half falling on the other side for the actual falling of a split person. But that was 
That was actually a, uh, I like that, that episode. It's lots of fun. We had people flying everywhere, cut in half, uh, being, uh, one of the guys just melted into the ground as, as a liquid. And yes, a shot that was hard to achieve is when, uh, um, geez, now I forget the name now. Uh, the end, the very end of that, that episode, when Alder is being rejuvenated. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Because we're, we're, we have a can, a camera on, on a crane kind of hinging around the two of them. And as one is getting younger, the other is getting older. So that's a combination of having... Two passes with one pass on location, and then I had the second pass because uh, with an older version of Alder uh, ending. Uh, sorry, started with the older version of Alder. So on set on the day we only had young Alder, right? Mm -hmm. And to have older Alder, what I did was we went back on stage, we matched the angles and the camera travel. And we had her with an older version of her uh, uh, makeup. And then we matched that angle and we put her face back just to end the shot with a younger version of her. It's like magic. Because sometimes you just don't, you just don't have time for makeup to yeah. do what they need to do on set. It's easy, you can, you can have one version of the person uh, throughout the day, you can make up someone to look younger or older, but you can't do mm -hmm. that twice in a day. You can't right. have, okay, now you go back inside, remove this, and, and you can't. So usually you have to pick one of the two to shoot on a day and the other one to shoot on green screen some other time. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. So we've seen some clips where there's a relatively small blue screen in exterior shots, and then it will become this really cool scenery. Um, why is that blue screen only needed for part of the area instead of you fully covering it? Um, well, you only use blue screen or green screen to cover the element you want to isolate. Right. If that element is just a person, you only need to cover the person. You don't need anything else. Right. So Makes I would sense. have to look at the shot to tell you exactly why we use the smaller screen on the day. Do you know if that if that's Abigail uh, doing a tornado thing? Uh, that was one of them, yeah. Because I had her on the blue screen once on location, and she was rigged uh, just to float above the ground a tad, and then I had blue or green mm -hmm. behind her. And we made her float a little bit higher than she was actually floating on the day. That's really cool. Yeah. Ah. She like, was creating she was creating a tornado and, and, and gently floating up in the air. Right. Just above the ground. Like that um it reminds me of season two, episode eight, where yeah. she's in the delusion. That's probably what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That was really that was because you have like uh rail and 
Tally trying to get her down to the ground because she's floating in the air because mm-hmm. she's in her delusion. Then you've got Scylla, oh, that was in the Scylla up ahead. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was in the forest. Yeah. Yes. Nikta was playing her tricks Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That always struck me as like it had to be, that was like a really cool, because there are so many elements in there. There are like people and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you had like Scylla trying to do wind shear to keep debris away from them, and then you had like the tornadoes and. Yes, yes, yes. It all comes back to me because you know, in my mind, I, I, everything is just becomes one big. Oh, I imagine so. Josh and <laughs> you have to remind me of stuff you want to ask because then I go, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I think there's another example. I think it was also in season two, I think the finale, where there was partial areas um, when they're in the desert going to get the Tareem family. And like, I think there's like a blue screen of part of the scenery. And then it was replaced later with like a giant mountain boulder type thing. But like the Mm -hmm. whole scenery wasn't blue screened. No, no, it wasn't. No. Because that's what we were trying to achieve was just a cave entrance. So I needed something to key them, uh, create that separation so I could put a cave. There's no cave entrance ever. We never had a cave entrance. Or there's also times when we had a blue screen to create the mycelium, uh, the necrolab entrance. Because the necrolab entrance was something that we never built uh, it was all CG, so the Necrolab, what I, I asked the grips to build was a box with a corner so that the girls could walk around it, and then, then Scylla is coming behind, and she looks for the entrance. She can't find it. That's season one. But yeah. we did that again. We did it twice on season one, and season two, we had the, something similar to create the cave entrance for the uh, terrain basin. That's really cool. Yeah, I, that's so yeah. cool. <laughs> I saw that uh, in the in the reel, and I was like, "That's the necro lab." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was an illusion. It was all an illusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I love it. All right, so. We have one final thing we want to ask you about or hope you'd explain for us. So we noticed behind you, you have a couple of really cool props from Motherland. And we're hoping you do like a show and tell to explain to our audience what they are because they're super cool. The the poster behind me, I think we all know. Yeah. When they were uh, conscripting girls and that's your call, right? Yeah. And the doll, this is from season one. When they, we had the, the, that fort and they, were, they had a whole bunch of dolls sitting on a, on a table for yeah. sale, if All I'm not wrong. Yeah, and you're right. That, this is one of the first things that I looked for when they were selling uh, Fort Salem items. Well, first I told them I wanted a scourge. Oh, so yes. I, got, I, got, I got a few scourges, not that, just these two. I've got a whole bunch of scourges. An arsenal of <laughs> so scourges. If they ever, if they ever have a season four, they'll have to get, they'll have to get back from us a whole bunch of. Times. 
Excuse me, when we need to requisition those scourges. You'll have, have to call me for season four. Exactly. That's that's job security right there. It is. Exactly. Do you have any uh, any specific characters, scourges? Are they just? Oh, I've got Nicta. I have Nicta that's on the wall. That, <laughs> so jealous. This one is Nicta. Ah. Uh, I may have something, uh, Abigail, maybe, uh, upstairs. Uh, I'm not sure which one was this. I know that the show kept uh, Alders. I know that Alders is, was, uh, not, was not sold, and I understand why. Yeah, yeah, but iconic. <laughs> I've got some Salva, too, but I haven't tried to see if I can really <laughs> Well, let us know if you ever do try it. <laughs> Please don't jump off of anything. Yeah. Some fun with it. <laughs> oh, that's so cool though. So it's like the the did you get the container and the little stars? Yeah, yeah, I have that. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. That's a cool prop. But you've got a pencil too, don't you? You got a yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the pencil, not a pencil. The that's pencil. The Brianna's favorite oh, pencil. Favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I think this pencil. this only had this only had any significance to me because on the day we had her uh, holding just this cool. much. There was no no uh, real uh, and a pencil sticking out of her hand, and so this was a very CG uh, shot. And I decided cool. to get this this little horsey because that's so cool. That is yeah. so cool. I love that. I'm real. That's, I love that. I'm thank glad you. you have it. I'm glad you. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Oh, oh well, thank, thank you, you so much. much for for showing us and, and giving us information on uh, oh, your time you on motherhood. Hey, that's just was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. All right. And let me know when this airs. I would like to watch uh, oh. other people's uh, stories too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We just, you know, we want to know what really goes on behind the scene. It's such a very collaborative effort to make such a wonderful television show. So thank you so much for sharing your You're expertise welcome. and like telling us how it really went down because you did fool us in many scenes. We have learned by talking to you. And we appreciate so, you <laughs> fooling us because it, we do. it made the immersion so, so good. Like, yes. yeah, it was a fun Fun show to work on and an amazing crew of everyone I love dearly. I miss I miss everyone. You know, just uh, wrote Brian last week and I he replied to me and I, I just had so much fun working with all these people. Yeah, I mean, we spent three four years on the show. You know, it's uh, we see these people on set more than we see our families. It's, right. Yeah. So uh, it, it's that's what I like about my work is that sense of uh, family that we get from people on set, you know? Well, hopefully we'll get a season four and you can get back in there. Yes. Oh, I would love to. would love to. <laughs> and then you have to give your scourges back. <laughs> <laughs> they can borrow. Borrow. Let's but you can keep the pencil. <laughs> keep the pencil. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you All so right. much, bro. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Have a good rest okay. of your day. Bye. Bye-bye. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all of our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. 
Uh, please subscribe and like all the things. If you happen to be listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, no matter how brief. This is what Apple uses in their algorithm to uh, help us gain a wider audience. So please, please, please help us out. Yes. And please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you about everything and anything. And if we like it, we'll probably give you a shout out on the air. You can find us at all the things. Twitter at Big Gay Energy Pod, Tumblr, Big Gay Energy Pod, Instagram, Big Gay Energy Pod, or you can email us at BigGayEnergyPod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus. <laughs>